Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity to gather and to be able now to open up your word. Lord, you've been with us as we have worshipped you, as we've engaged into your presence. Um, you've, we've actually sent prayer requests to you as well, and we believe that you've heard them and will begin doing the things that we ask for in your name. We now open up your word and be ask that you endure us with tremendous power to hear your word, to speak your word, and to be able to have the strength and ability to be able to do it as we hear it. And Lord, as we hear your word and accomplish it and let it be fulfilled, we pray that we give you praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Um, as you think about Valentine's Day, it's, it's such an honorable time to just to think about relationships and how they start off in our life. Some of us have had great relationships. Some of us, not so great relationships. You know, maybe you're the person in the room who has never struggled in a relationship. For you, the first person that you ever loved, they loved you back. Uh, maybe you're like the couple that met on the playground and they started to play with each other on the swings. And as they grew up, they walked to school together. Then they eventually got married. They held hands every single day. Uh, they kissed each other every day. They never had one argument. Now, she was his best friend and he was her best friend. They grew old together and then when they died, they died on the same day, at the same hour, at the same minute when they were 120 years old. It's a beautiful couple. For everyone else, relationships are actually much harder. <laughs> now, we are reading today's passage because relationships are very, very difficult. I think it's the hardest thing that you and I will actually ever do in our life. And what's so fascinating about relationships is the difficulty that they are. We get sometimes no training manuals. You know, there are times where we go to jobs and they put us in a training class. Uh, there are times where we go to school to learn math all of our life so that we can learn how to count money or to be able to count our fingers. But there's actually no such opportunities for us actually to practice and learn what it actually means to be married. But God is the one who ordained marriage, and it was his promise to us as a gift for our lives. And he begins to give us some beautiful uh, wisdom of scripture uh, that actually gives us a little bit of guidance how, how we're actually to live our lives so that we can truly live the promises that God actually given to us. Now, we'll start by looking at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 31 so that we are able to eventually understand God's purpose for, for marriage and then also believe that we can actually live a life that is faithful all the way till the end. Faithful all the way till the end. Verse 31 begins our discussion. It says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And so just so that we're all on the same page, um, what is divorce and what is the point of divorce? You know, divorce is the final opportunity or final statement that says that a marriage is now finished. So what he is doing right here in this verse of, of Scripture is giving those who are focused on finding someone else in their life to, to be a spouse to. 
And so he wants to tackle that head on. Because there's, there's other scriptures, such as Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, that begins, that, that Jesus talks about, that gives us an understanding, that says, from the beginning, I've given you a promise that man shall not be alone, that he shall have someone that is to help that person become a helpmate. And as he begins to give that, they said that, well, marriage is hard, just like we've all experienced sometimes, that marriage is hard. And as marriage is hard, they want to find someone new. And so as you find someone new, Jesus makes it very, very hard for us to be able to say that I've only really created one person for you. Now, what makes it hard for us is that we live in a culture that doesn't really live up to that standard. You know, in our culture, both if you're, if you're in the church or outside the church, 50%, 60% of people are actually divorced. And so we, we are living testimonies that marriage really doesn't always work out for us. So why is Jesus Christ telling us that whoever divorces wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce? And then in verse 32, he begins to say, but I say to you, that everyone who divorces a wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Point blank. So he's trying to give us a legal term to be able to understand the implications that what we have in relationships, saying that if you go so far as to get rid of a person, you're placing yourself into adultery. In other scriptures, he says that adultery is also likened to lust, and lust is, you know, in our eyes, not only lust with uh, being able to take someone and actually physically having that person to be your own, but actually having lust in your heart so that you actually start to pursue that person in a way that you actually want them longingly. The whole point of all that is to say that what you fail to realize is that I've placed a high barrier and a high responsibility on marriage. And if you fail it, you're actually calling yourself into sin. And if you sin, you're actually responsible to actually face the responsibility of actually having to pay for that sin, you know, which is eternal death. All right. Those are hard words to say sometimes. You know, hard words to say to put it in our culture because our culture, you know, goes so far away you know, from what Jesus Christ is actually telling us and saying, you know, in these scriptures. If, if you're like me, because he tells us that not only is divorce wrong or adultery wrong, but in also verses 27 through 31, he also tells us that lust is wrong. What, what lust actually defines for us is, is really simple, is that when you make plans to have someone in your own eyes and in your own thought. When you, when you are thinking about, here's what I could possibly do to that person, you know, with your own head and with your own thoughts. That's what Jesus Christ is calling, you know, adultery in the heart. He's calling that lust. And maybe you're not like me. Maybe you've never, you know, walked across the street or, or saw someone or been at a, an exercise facility and saw someone that you could say, man, if I just had the opportunity, you know, you know something could go down. So as we think of, of lust from that perspective, there's many different ways to kind of put us all in this perspective of actually being guilty of exactly what God is actually calling us not to do. Amen. Amen. Now, y'all might not you know, shout and holler you know, today you know, for this message, but what we're actually trying to do is getting us to a, an understanding of why is Jesus Christ making such a big deal about this? Why... 
I am not necessarily committing something that's wrong to another person, or even if I have committed something wrong, that person can get over that. That person can actually move on with their life. Well, I want to argue with you that what God is really trying to get us an understanding is sometimes what I would call like the purpose of marriage, the purpose of relationships. And, and if I look at my life, I wish I would have known this, you know, when I was 20 years old or 18 years old or 17, you know, this, that, and the other. Because when I grew up, you know, I was taught, you know, that, you know, women were objects for my personal satisfaction. You know, that I should be able to look at them. I should be able to pursue them. And it was all about my, my own personal need. Amen. Amen. You know, I listened to songs that related to that. I listened to, to lyrics that, that kind of identified with that. And I started to live that out of my personal life. And then I started to come into the scriptures that, that told me something completely different and told me that God actually honored something which was called faithfulness and commitment. You know, God actually says in the scripture that he even goes into likening marriage to his own relationship that he has with us. The book of Hosea is amazing because he gives us a story of a man who is a priest, a man who is a man of God, who God actually calls to actually marry a prostitute. And he does that so that the whole community can have an understanding of what it actually looks like when God is betrayed, what it actually looks like when God has his, his commitment left by the community that's called the church or the community that's called the people of God. And so he calls them adulterers, and he calls them people who have, who have worshipped other, other gods and other idols and worshipped money and worshipped another country who could actually give them what they actually needed. And he does that in the same sense that he gives to us, because what he's telling you and I in the eyes of Scripture is that if, if, if you could understand how, how hard it is for a person to be betrayed, you can understand how I feel when you betray me on a consistent basis. And so sometimes what marriage actually does for us, it gives us an opportunity to understand how to pursue God in a more holy way. You know, when you're a person who is committed and faithful in a relationship, it gives you the training wheels to be able to understand, here's how I can actually be faithful in my relationship with God himself. You know, one of the things that actually prevents us from being faithful you know, in a relationship with our own selfish desires. You know, in the midst of like a beautiful Valentine's week where my wife and I hosted a great event for a community where I went out and bought her some beautiful flowers. And we went out and actually had a um, great dinner and a movie and then also a concert. We also had one beautiful argument. <laughs> and, and we had that one beautiful argument it wasn't anything life-shattering or anything significant. It was over a carton of milk. You know, an, an argument over a carton of milk. <laughs> and when, what you realize in, in, those, in those arguments is, is that we are only having those arguments, as the scriptures teach us, because of our own selfish desires. You know, I want things one way, she wants things another way. And because of the fact that I don't get my way, I want to actually be a little bit... <clears throat> So I heard pouty, I heard snotty, I heard childish, I heard crabby. She calls it Ivanish. <laughs> so when I don't get my way, my attitude starts to come out. The, the things that, that I want to say starts to come out. 
And what that does is actually only destroys the fabric of the nature of our relationship. You know, every time I, I, I say something harsh or every time I do something that I know that is based on my selfish desire, it is hurting us from actually pursuing what God really desires for us, which is to be faithful to the end. Because a week later or a month later, you know, the seeds that I am sowing into my wife and the seeds that she is sowing into me, they're harboring bitterness. They're harboring resentment. And so the, the, the argument that we had this week after a beautiful movie, after a beautiful dinner, after a beautiful, con- after a beautiful converse, a concert, was not about a carton of milk. It was about all the things that happened the previous days, the previous weeks, the previous months. And that carton of milk was the opportunity <laughs> to let the conversation occur. Five years ago, I was standing before a man and he asking me vows, and do you take this woman? And says some other stuff. And I say, yes, I do. And he asked the same question to my wife, and she, he says some stuff to her, and she said, yes, I do. And those vows actually were, were meant for us to not break. And, and those, those, those verses that, that we read about you shall not take a vow were intended for us to, to think about how honorable really are your words? You know, are you the type of person that will say something one day, but you really don't mean that at all because you'll find a way to just escape out of it? And so at the end of the day, God tells us that let your yes be simply yes and your no simply be no. You know, giving us an understanding that, you know, you and I are, are called to be committed and faithful people. It's such a hard reality in this world to to understand how important it actually is to be faithful and committed people. And it's hard to to come across people who, on Tuesday, they say that they're going to be somewhere and they're going to be somewhere on Tuesday. And what's what's so strikingly about that, especially in, in the body that we call the faith, the same word that we use for faith to believe who God is, to distinguish our character in God, is the same word that is faithful. You know, sometimes you can actually just flip it and say that the word faithful means to be, to be full of faith. So how often, you can ask us a question, are we really full of faith? You know, we are people who say we believe God and say that we live a life for God, but are we really faithful people? You know, are we people who are actually going to do what God has actually called us to do by doing what we say we want to do on a consistent basis? That's actually what it means to have faith. To be able to say that I believe what I'm, what, what, what God has told me in my heart to do. An example that we're talking about today is marriage. You know, God has given us a charge, and He's given me a charge, to, and said that I'm going to give you the promise of marriage. Are you going to be faithful in it, Joseph? And some of the promises of marriage are, are, are really, really beautiful because God has promised us, for example, in Malachi chapter 2. That if, if you are in a committed relationship, God promises to give you companionship. You know, it's, he promises that we're, we're, we won't be lonely. And, and it's, it's, but are you going to be faithful, you know, to that promise that God actually given to you? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for a person to be alone. So I'm going to create someone who's a helper for you. 
So the promise of marriage actually gives us an opportunity for someone to actually help you to be better than you actually currently are today. But it happens when we decide to be faithful. You know, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22 says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. God promises that we will obtain favor in our marriages when we actually become faithful. So what I'm actually explaining is what's called a covenant. You know, God's covenant always says that I'm going to promise you something very, very beautiful in my life. But your responsibility is to be faithful in it. If you're faithful into it, you're going to receive the blessings of all the things that actually God has actually designed for us. You know, but what, what, what makes it hard? Me. You know, what makes it hard is that I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it, the way that I want it. Amen. My wife makes it hard because she wants what she wants, when she wants it, how she wants it. And I'm speaking for her words, so don't think that I'm putting something in her mouth. <laughs> but we're both one and the same. And so God is, is calling to us and being able to say, that you, the, the way that you, you fight through this area of being able to break down not being a person who is faithful to the end is being able to understand that you are not really fulfilling your own personal desires, but you're, you're fulfilling God's promise. And so I, I love to always think about marriage in this way of thinking about what is the meaning of marriage? What is the purpose of marriage sometimes? You know, sometimes, you know, growing up, like I mentioned when I was 16, 18, 19, 20, is that I view women, you know, for my own personal satisfaction. And that's what I was taught and that's what I was, was shown. And then that bleeds over into your dating life and it begins to bleed over into your marriage life because you start to realize that you see somebody as an opportunity to get what you want to make you happy, but not realizing that God is actually doing that so that you can actually learn sometimes how to be a better person, how to what we call grow up in life, grow up in God. And, you know, the theological word that they use for that is called sanctification. And so God sometimes uses our relationships to actually help us to be the better version of ourselves in life. You know, God uses marriage so that um, he gets out of what he wants for your life, not necessarily you coming to God and actually getting what you want out of marriage. And that's hard for us because our culture actually teaches us that the purpose of marriage is to make you happy, to get you sexually gratified, to get you financially stable, to get you comfort, to get you the security that you actually need in life. And I mentioned God has promises that relate to a lot of that. But God really is telling us that the purpose of marriage is for you to really honor me and worship me in the way that you truly that I truly desire you to be. You know, my wife would argue in here right now at this point, if we were doing a husband and wife, you know, uh, conversation, she'd say, but I just want to be happy. (laughs) Well, God God is promising that, too. It's, It's not withstanding, but God is just telling us that the purpose of marriage is just not just to make you happy. You know, the purpose of marriage is to let you be the best version of yourself in God that you could actually possibly be. Because here's what marriage does. Marriage gives you an opportunity that when you are, uh, you are with someone who is imperfect. I'm an imperfect person. You know, right now, you know, if you go to our home, you know, I've, 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 I've laid the clothes all over, over the house. You know, things are just thrown everywhere because I'm in a rush trying to get things done. 
And so somebody's got to come and actually clean that up after myself. Or if I didn't do that, my wife did, and I got to clean up after her. One way or another. But either way, we're, we're both on perfect people who actually have to clean up after each other on a consistent basis. And sometimes that becomes what's called frustrating. You know, sometimes I say things that my wife doesn't like, and that actually rubs her the wrong way. Sometimes she says things that I don't like, and it rubs her the wrong way. Sometimes she does things that I don't like that rubs me the wrong way. And so we are consistently in this opportunity of dealing with somebody who is imperfect or dealing with somebody who is not like you you know, better said sometimes, because they can be perfectly in themselves, but they're just not like you. You know, they do some certain things in a way that you wouldn't always do them, and that always gets you into a place, what do I deal with that? You know, we, we heard throughout the day today that love is sometimes the antidote of selfishness. And love says that it's not touchy, it's not fretful, it's not resentful, and it's kind. You know, sometimes all the things that we are not when we're in a relationship, because somebody's getting on my nerves and they're pushing my button, so now I'm touchy. <laughs> you know, sometimes somebody has done something to, something to me, and so I'm now unforgiving. But God is actually saying to you and I that if we are to grow up into sanctification and to be who Jesus Christ has called you to be, that the fruit of the Spirit is peace, joy, love, kindness, self-control, long-suffering, patience all the things that we are typically not in a relationship. And so what, what marriage does for us helps us in those areas. You know, I need somebody to get on my nerves so that I can actually learn patience. You know, all of us do. You know, we need somebody that's actually going to get us into that position to reveal what our heart is. That's where I'm trying to get us to see it. It's like when you're in a relationship, it reveals where your heart is and reveals like the, the ugliness of who you, who you call yourself to be. Because sometimes when you're just by yourself, you can think that you, you got it all together. You can think that you are perfect, but you're not. <laughs> because once you get around other people who don't think like you, who don't act like you, who don't do the things that you want to do, you start to see where your selfishness comes into play. Amen. Amen. I was um, having a great conversation with a good friend of mine this week and uh, realizing that we have been friends now for at least 15 years and we've seen each other you know, grow in life and we've seen each other think about how we wanted our lives to look like 15 years ago and now it's 15 years later and we began to reflect on that. And we both said to each other, man, thank God for wisdom. <laughs> you know, thank God for time. Thank God for the opportunity to grow and experience things that we didn't experience when we were a lot younger. Because what we realize, you know, in our life is that, you know, oftentimes the, the, the single thing that is the greatest aspect of our life is what's called family. You know, and what family does, it actually gives you a home. You know, it gives you love. It gives you peace. It gives you the compatibility that you actually need in life. And God doesn't use us without being family. You know, even when we get to the place in our life where we say that we want to do something significant for God, what God tells us first is that unless you are in relationship with me and you are family to me, you can't do nothing for me. So family is the ground basis of it all, and he, and he gives us what's called a son, and his name is Jesus Christ. 
And as he gives us a son, he says that, uh, I'm going to give you that son because you are messy and you are unforgiving and you are bitter and because you are lustful and because you're an adulterer. And I'm, and I'm going to give him because you are a person who breaks my covenant. And I'm going to give you this son and I'm going to let him die for you. And as he dies for you, if you believe in him and have faith in him and learn to be faithful you know, to him, I'm going to call you a son and I'm going to call you a daughter. And I'm going to wash you clean of all your sins. And as I wash you clean of all your sins, we are now family. So much so that you are my father and you have another big brother. And as you, are, you, are, you have a father and a big brother, he says, now the things that you dreamed about, the things that you wanted to do in life, now they're available to you. Sometimes we rush the process. You know, even in our community of church today, we've got a lot of things that, that God wants us to do, but the first thing that he's calling us to do is be family. You know, he's, he's calling us to be authentic, and he's calling us to be committed to one another. He's calling us to be faithful to one another. He's calling us to love one another. You know, we pray for each other because we are demonstrating that we care for one another. You know, we eat with one another because we are demonstrating that we are family. The table is the place where relationship happens. You know, we pray for one another because we hear the struggles and the difficulties that we have in our life so that we can actually raise our hand to be able to say that I'm your family and I can help you with that. You know, when difficulties happen in life, we are the people that God actually should use so that we come to the aid of those that we are in our community together. It's called family. It's called family. And it's the most beautiful thing that, that we have. You know, family is so beautiful today that, you know, Valentine's Day is not just about your love, Sometimes it's about family. You know, the opportunity for us actually to recognize that God in some kind of mysterious, creative way has given us an opportunity to focus on what matters again. So I'm very grateful that God has given me a family. You know, he's given me a woman who actually has shown me what it actually means to be family. I mean, she is always more loving than I'm going to ever be loving. You know, she is always going to to want to hug and to hold hands and to kiss when I actually just want to get things done. And as, as she does that reminder of those things, she is my reminder from God to understand that you've got to have this right first before you can do anything else in life. But it works two ways, too. You know, as we hold hands and we kiss and, and as, as we are intimate, then I can say, now we got stuff to do. <laughs> And that's the beauty of this relationship where God gives us two people who are not the same. And, and we are in this community to kind of figure out today, how faithful are you in your relationships? How faithful are you to God? Because the same way that you say that you are a Christian, the same way that you are a worshiper of God, you know, we can look at our lives plainly and understand that faithfulness is a characteristic that actually moves in every single area. If you're faithful at home, you'll be faithful on the job. If you're faithful on the job, you should be faithful at home. You know, how you, how you, if you're faithful on the job, then that should be lead your life into God. If you're faithful on the God, you're going to be faithful at home. You're going to be faithful on the job. You know, faithfulness is a character, is what I'm trying to get us to understand. And it's one of the most beautiful characteristics that we can actually have in life. Amen. At the end of the day, a, a man and a woman... Um, moved in together. 
And as they moved in together, you know, they were thinking, well, if, if we moved in, I could actually save a little bit of rent and, uh, and we could actually enjoy each other a little bit. But what they lost sight of was the fact that what happens a year from today when we've actually started to bicker and to fight and to argue and now my heart is broken and I've got to walk out of this relationship because it no longer works. I'm thankful for wisdom today to understand that every conversation that I have with my wife has to be with the end in mind. You know, at the end of the day, we've got to think about saying that 90 years from today, we'll live a long life. You know, when we're 90 years old, all the things that I've done leads up to this moment. So to this week, I'm remorseful of understanding that an argument over milk is going to destroy us a week from today, a month from today. And to understand that if I could have the insight last week to be able to say that we're going to be here when we're 90, milk don't matter. I remind us all of that this week is that family is so important that let the little stuff go. You know, let the insignificant stuff be insignificant and continue to be faithful all the way to the end. Let's pray.